Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman, joined by rock expert Frank Ost. Frank, welcome to the final episode of Season 3 already. It's great to be here, and I can't believe how time flies. Time flies. We started this <laughs> podcast, you know, almost a year ago. Our first show was at the end of November. By the way, sure. we have a big one-year anniversary party set for our November 29th show. Right. That'll be the start of Season 5. So let's just kind of run down what we're going to be doing. We are going to give you guys, our listeners, our great listeners from all over the world. We have Japan and Brazil, UK, Germany, of course, the United States, mm-hmm. listening to our our great podcast. When We're going to have a big announcement, by the way, at the start of Season 5. I'm going to give people a chance to catch up. I know that we have more than 40 episodes in the archives. Right. And they're all there wherever you listen to your podcasts, okay? And then November 1st is going to start a brand new season of shows. Season 4 is coming up. We're going to really start getting into some solo artists. Right, We're going to start exactly. with the Beatles. Paul, then John, then George, then Ringo. That's mm-hmm. going to round out November. And then we'll have some other great surprises as well. We'll continue on with our, our segments of Today in Rock History, our featured artists, of course, our Southern Rock. We're going to do that like, uh, you know, season four and five. And, and then some new fun features as well. Sure. So get ready for that. In the meantime... Catch your breath and catch up on some of Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations podcast featuring rock expert Frank Ost. So here we go. Today in Rock History, September 27th. Remember the Bob Hope Show was on the radio? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, radio was the thing then. So your mom and dad were both born in 1928. They would That's have been right. 10 years old when yep. the song Thanks for the Memory, the Bob Hope classic you know, theme song, premiered on his show for the very first time. And that's when uh, families used to crowd around the radio and listen to it in the evening just like they do the uh, TV set now. That's right. Glenn Miller and his orchestra performed together for the final time the state in 1942. Glenn would volunteer for the Army, disappeared over the English Channel December of 1944. That's a shame. One of the best songs still ever recorded in my book, Moonlight Serenade. Mm-hmm. Oh, he had, and he had a lot of others, too. Oh, yeah, and String of Pearls. Fantastic. Oh, great stuff. Beach Boys performed on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time in 1964. They performed I Get Around and Wendy. Yeah. I like Wendy. That's a cute song. It's a Mm -hmm. fun song. 1979, while performing the song Better Off Dead, Elton John collapsed on stage. He was suffering from exhaustion brought on by the flu. Wow. So that kind of ended a very busy year, uh, decade for him, didn't it? Sure did. 79, oh, toward yeah. the end. He did return to the stage that night, finishing the show after just a 10-minute delay. That's amazing. 2004, September 27th, Phil Spector was charged with murder. Oh, yeah. The shooting death of Lana Clarkson at his mansion the year before. He was convicted in April of 2009. Boy, it took five years to get convicted. It did, and which is shocking because I believe at the time he came out of the house covered in blood saying that he had did it. <laughs> you would think, like, well, you kind of get spoiled by L.A. Law or not L.A. Law, but Law and Order. These episodes wrap up in one hour. Oh, absolutely. So five years later, he was sentenced to 19 years to life in a California state prison system. That's right. 2018, Jefferson Airplane and Starship vocalist Marty Ballin passed away en route to a hospital in Tampa. He was 76 years old. Mm. Birthdays. Remember Mission Impossible? Absolutely. One of my favorite shows growing up. When I was upstairs on a Sunday night, if I heard that theme song, I knew I was up too late. Yeah, yeah, good point. (laughs) Greg Morris was born in this state in 1934 in Cleveland. You know, he was a frequent guest star and a good one on the Password and Password Plus shows. My mom loved that show, and he was very, very smart. Mm -hmm. He probably would have been good on Pyramid as well. Oh, yeah. You know, those one-word clues and whatever. Right. Very smart guy. 
Actor Wilfred Brimley, member from In and Out, The Father, and then Absence of Malice. He played a, a federal agent. I just remember the mustache. Yeah, very old, you know, very old school guy. 1934. He was also born. Don Cornelius, the Soul Train host from 1971 to 1993, was born in 1936. You know, Frankie, Don died of a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head in 2012. Wow. I did not know I, that. I did not know that either. That's such a shame. Meatloaf, you know what his real name is? Marvin uh, Lee Aday. I was going to yeah, say, Marvin yeah, Lee Marvin. Meatloaf uh, stands out a little more. It does. 74 years old. Mike Schmidt of the Phillies, not only... Played there, but at Ohio University. That's right. Or the Ohio University, as <laughs> podcasts like to call it. The. <laughs> He's 72 today. Greg Hamm of Men at Work was born in 1953. Sean Cassidy is 63 years old. And Gwyneth Paltrow turns 49 today. Wow. All right, here we go with the concert calendar, Frankie. On October 2nd, that's this coming Saturday... Southside Johnny and the Asbury Jukes are playing the MGM Northfield Park stage. Wow, they're still at it. Yeah. That's nice. We told you last week about Firefall and Orleans. I might actually see that show, Kent Stage, on Saturday, the 2nd of October. Maybe sure. I'll make my way down there. I don't. Really, I like that venue, but it's tough drive home and on a weeknight, but maybe a Saturday night you might find me down there. Absolutely. Rod Stewart's going to be playing the Coliseum at Caesars Palace starting uh, very soon on the 6th of uh, October. Going to be at Blossom next July and the 19th with Cheap Trick. That's an interesting duo. Hopefully next year we'll get the COVID thing sorted out and the vaccines and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, by that time, hopefully, of course we were saying this last year, but hopefully by that time uh, it'll be kind of under control. We are still at least talking about shows, unlike last year. Exactly. Don Felder, formerly the Eagles, also playing the Kent stage on Thursday, October 7th. they got some good shows coming to town. Sting's going to begin his own residency. We were kind of joking last week, you know, Sting and Rod Stewart, uh, you know, Celine has been there before. Elton John played for a lot of of years. And those are our age favorites. Our mom and dad, you know. It was Liberace and (laughs) Ella Fitzgerald, Jimmy (laughs) Durante, Jack Jones. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Uh, Rock Hall induction ceremonies, remember, at the end of October on the 30th. Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, you got to show proof of vaccination. And so that's going to be a fun night at uh, that venue in downtown Cleveland. Looking forward to it. One Hit Wonder Time, Frankie. I heard this recently on AT40 with Casey Kasem. You know, they play it back every Sunday morning. That's Jungle Fever, hitting number eight in the spring of 72, the Shakachas. Remember them? No, I do not. But I have heard of the song, and uh, quite a song it is. The song hit number eight here in the States in the spring of 72, but was banned by the BBC. It was not heard in the UK because they said of the general moaning and uh, sexual innuendo of it. It was a Belgian fictional group, and so when it was time to tour to um, promote the song, not over there, but uh, over here, it was uh, performed by a Latin New York trio. Really? Yeah. So, okay. Jungle Fever. <laughs> Montego Bay, you probably remember that. Bobby Bloom. Yeah, I do remember that one. Released in the fall of 70, written by Bobby Bloom, and writing credit also given to Rogers and Hammerstein. At the end, he broke into Whoa, What a Beautiful Morning from Oklahoma. Oh, okay. That's right. And um, at the end of the song, and then Jeff Berry also co-wrote the song. Berry, Jeff Berry, not only produced a lot of the monkey stuff, like I'm a Believer, but get this list of songs he wrote or co-wrote. Do Wah Diddy, Be My Baby, Chapel of Love, Leader of the Pack, 
to do Run Run and Sugar Sugar, and he did it all before turning 31. Wow, that's great stuff. Jeff Barry. He also wrote the themes uh, later on to One Day at a Time, The Jeffersons, and Family Ties. Ah, just just writing the Family Ties theme right there. Montego Bay, good tune, Bobby Bloom. I don't like it as much as Jungle Fever, but it's not bad. Well, every song can't be a Jungle Fever, but I'll tell you, I remember Montego Bay because uh, when I went to high school, one of the first songs we played in band was Montego Bay. They had a fresh, brand new arrangement of it. Didn't sound anything like it. Not to date you, but <laughs> <laughs> not to date you or anything, but that was pre rock and roll part two. So oh, we yeah. didn't have oh, the Gary Glitter song to play in marching band yet. No, not for a couple years. Definitely not. Brand new segment, Frankie. We're going to track not only the music from 1967 to 82, but also album covers. This is one of your ideas. I think it's a great one, too. Because you learn so much for from artists about what they were thinking with the, the album covers and the uh, inner sleeve and the, the lyrics. So it's a whole fun thing to, to do while you're listening to the music, wasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, part of the fun of buying an album in that day and time was when you got home. You spent the whole afternoon listening to the album and, of course, reading all the liner notes and everything. Yeah. yeah. A lot of times they didn't include lyrics, but it didn't matter. Right, exactly. It's just fun to open it up, especially if it was one of those that you opened up and you had something on each side to yeah, look the, at. The, the yeah, the gatefold. Yeah, even yeah, if definitely. it was just a single mm-hmm. uh, album. So what do you have from 1967? Well, the first one, to nobody's surprise, this is, of course, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. I don't think you could do... Uh, this segment without mentioning them. Uh, the cover collage includes 57 photographs and nine um, waxworks. You mean they weren't all posing together as one? They were not. <laughs> uh, it's a guide to the cultural topography of that decade, as somebody put it. Mm-hmm. Um, it conveyed the increasing uh, democratization of society whereby traditional barriers between high and low culture were being eroded. Um, Interesting enough, uh, fearing controversy, there were a few uh, that were rejected. Uh, Lenin's request for the images of Adolf Hitler Mm. and Jesus Christ were Somehow rejected. Um, And as you you can find finally figure out why this was only about a year after that the big brouhaha over um john saying that the bigger the beatles were as big as christ yeah. i mean it was i i can't even believe he tried for it but of course that was john lennon well and people got the wrong idea you know he he said we're just a rock band that's right we're yes. not jesus christ for crying out loud but i don't taken, know if that's how it, yes. that's how it meant that's what he meant that's but, what he meant but you know everything you know they were the biggest thing in the world at that point they really were yeah and hanging um, on every word they were saying certainly and john were. had such a, a such an, a personality that 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 kind of acerbic uh, dry sense of humor absolutely you didn't always know how to take him no no, uh, and uh, so yeah, those, those got nixed. Uh, hmm. Harrison was uh, gone uh, out for Mahatma Gandhi, but they also nixed that. I'm not sure why. Uh, would have seemed to be uh, a natural. Um, and when McCartney was asked why they didn't include Elvis Presley, he said it was because he was just too big. There was no need to put him on there because he was bigger than everyone in rock music. Wow. So I kind of thought that was neat. Um, there are five people from the cover, still living today. Interesting list. 
Of course, uh, Ringo and Paul from the Beatles oh, of course. are still with us. Uh, Bob Dylan is on there, and he is still with us. Uh, a sculptor, Larry Bell, who I had mm. never heard of, but he is still with us. And Dianne DiMucci, who uh, is a Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. You might remember him for songs like Run Around Sue and The Wanderer. But not Abraham Martin and John, because that hadn't yet been recorded. That's true. You're, you're absolutely right. Oh, wow, that's an interesting choice, that they would have Dion DiMucci as opposed to, say, Frankie Valli or something. Yeah, it's funny how they came up with these people. Uh, like, they had Sonny Liston on there. It would have made sense to have Muhammad Ali on there, but no, they went with Sonny Liston. Um the a- album's lyrics were printed in full on the back cover. That's the first time it had ever been done in rock and roll. Uh, the all- LP also uh, can uh, included a bonus gift um, that was a cardboard cutout, postcard-sized portrait of Sgt. Pepper, and um, it's based on a statue uh, from John Lennon's house that was used uh, on the front cover. A fake mat- uh, mustache was in there, and two sets of star- sergeant stripes. This was all came with the original um, package. So kind of neat. I wonder how long it took to come up with that idea and talk about a concept album, a concept album cover. Exactly. Um, how long it took and, and why? Exactly. Just a, an interesting, I mean, I don't know if it was drug-fueled or not. Yeah, and they said they wanted to make the p- people feel like they were part of the Sgt. Pepper's band. I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> That's cool. I don't I don't remember getting the album. Um, I certainly... I think by the time we probably yeah, got it, uh, since I wasn't buying very many albums in 67, to be honest with you, by the time I got it, they'd done away with those kind of giveaway things. Yeah. Interesting album. What else do you have? Uh, the other one uh, is an interesting one. Uh, one of my favorite albums from the time. Um, but... Uh, Velvet Underground and Nico. Oh, good one. Uh, now, the album cover for Velvet Underground and Nico is recognizable for featuring uh, the Andy Warhol print of the banana. If you remember that, that yeah. came in, into play uh, almost like the Campbell soup can. It was uh, kind of all over the place. Early copies of the album invited the owner to peel slowly and see, and then peeling back uh, the banana skin revealed revealed a flesh-colored banana <laughs> underneath. I don't know where they were going with that. Uh, who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, a special mas- machine was needed to manufacture these covers, uh, one which covered the album's uh, delayed release. But MGM paid for the cost, figuring that any ties to War- Warhol would boost the sales of the album. Didn't really work because the album sold about 30,000 copies in the end. <laughs> Um, when the album was first uh, issued, the main back cover, taken at uh, a performance of Warhol's event Exploding Plastic Inevitable, contained an image of actor Eric Emerson projected on uh, the wall behind the band. Uh, having recently been arrested <laughs> for drug possession and desperate for money, Emerson, of course, threatened to sue them over the unauthorized use of, use of his image. Uh, unless they paid him. Well, rather than pay him, uh, MGM just recalled uh, copies of the album and halted its distribution until Emerson's image could be um, airbrushed from 
<laughs> from the photo uh, and uh, licensing at that time. Uh, also, uh, there was, to show how ridiculous things get, there was a 2012 lawsuit from the Velvet Underground Trust to the Andy Warhol Trust about the use of the banana image, hmm. even though I think uh, Lou Reed and uh, Andy Warhol were both dead at the time. That's why the trusts were involved. Yeah. So you can see how ridiculous things can get. And this was an album that, in its original uh, printing, probably sold about 30,000 albums. Yeah. Isn't it funny how the two albums you mentioned, so complex, yet this one was so simple. Absolutely. And you would, you would have thought that there would have been no big thing. Yeah. No. You would think there'd be more trouble with lawsuits and whatnot from Sgt. Pepper's. Absolutely. Yet, uh, 40 years after the fact, they were still suing each other. Wow. <laughs> All right, Frankie, before we hit our featured artist, Robert Allen Zimmerman, Bob Dylan, I'm going to start by saying who I would start a record collection with. Bob Dylan would be the topic, and I would start with the very first album I had of his, Bob Dylan's Greatest Hits, Volume 1. Ah, can't and, go wrong with that. You know, all the early stuff, and and it led into the later stuff. He had a lot of compilation albums, didn't he? Yeah, he sure did. And, you know, the thing about the, the first Greatest Hits is that really enco- encompasses that early period and was pro- probably... One of the earliest greatest hits from a rock act at that time. Featured artist Bob Dylan, born Robert Allen Zimmerman, May 24th, 1941. He's been recording since 1962, the debut album, mostly containing folk songs. Bob was born in Duluth and raised in Hibbing, Minnesota. He liked Dylan Thomas, and I'm surprised he didn't go with the stage name Bob Thomas. But he did go with Dylan. He was originally, I guess, going to spell it D-I-L-L-O-N, but decided to go with the way that Dylan Thomas spelled it instead. So 1962, we started hearing from Bob Dylan with those folk songs. The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, 1988, inducted by Bruce Springsteen. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Of course, he probably was a charter member, you would think, Bob Dylan. Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. Nobel Prize for Literature in 2016. Isn't that incredible? Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. Kennedy Center Honoree, 1997, 10 Grammy Awards, 2000 Golden Globe, and an Academy Award for Things Have Changed, written and performed by him uh, for Best Original Song 21 years ago for the film Wonder Boys. Wow, what's he been doing his whole life? I don't know. (laughs) We're certainly not going to trace every single album in his discography, but I think it's important to go through the 60s and the 70s, and then we'll, you know, kind of touch on a few of the albums that... uh, that he had from 1980 on, but it's sure. just it's just too lengthy. But his first live performance uh, in New York City was obviously well received. Later on, maybe at the Newport uh, Folk Festival, wasn't so well received when he turned electric. We'll get to that in a minute. He's published eight books of his drawings and paintings too, and his artwork has also been exhibited in major art galleries all throughout the country. Oh yeah, absolutely. 1963 brought us Free Wheelin' Bob Dylan, Blowing in the Wind, Hard Rain's Gonna Fall. When did you start getting with Mr. Dylan? Uh, like a lot of people, I did not get with him until the mid-'70s, to be honest with you. Now, that doesn't mean I did not know who he was. Of course I did. I was alive and listening to rock music and rock stations. So, of course, uh, I knew who Bob Dylan was. But it wasn't until Blood on the Tracks, which is 1975, 
that I really took a big interest in him and then kind of went back from there. For me, it was when I first started listening to Bob Dylan consistently. Hurricane, you know, in 76, yep. I guess it was. Yeah, just after yeah. Uh, Blood on And tracks. obviously, it didn't get his greatest hits package in 1965, mm-hmm. um, but uh, it really did give me a good sense of what he did early on. And I was always a Bob Dylan fan, not a fan of his voice, but I loved what other people did with his music, The Birds, Hendrix, so on and so forth. And just about everybody, yeah, who recorded uh did a cover of one of his songs. He was well-received at the Newport Folk Festival, and, um, but then he kind of turned electric, didn't he? After the times, they were changing, another side of Bob Dylan. Um, you know, people didn't like it. They didn't like the electric Bob Dylan that much, did they? Well, uh, I think they thought he was their folk troubadour, and he would carry the flag for folk music going forward. And that night in 1965, when he flipped on the amplifiers, and they went full blast. I don't think the, the poor folkies had ever heard anything like that. Bring It All Back Home, 1965, featured a move toward electric, electric half and folk half, you know, to placate some fans. His fifth studio album was the first to crack the top ten on the album chart. It had Subterranean Homesick Blues, Maggie's Farm, the birds hit on there, you know, Mr. Tambourine Man, Gates of Eden. Uh, 1965, the crowd at that year's folk festival did not receive him very well. He yeah, absolutely. A, it was shortly thereafter that he stopped touring with his buddy Joan Baez. His music was taken off and hers was not flatlining, but just kind of moseying along. Everybody liked Bob Dylan and Joan Baez's music. I just don't think they really got along too much after that, especially with touring. Absolutely. So 1965 also brought us Highway 61 Revisited. That's that major highway that connects his hometown of Duluth with St. Louis and the Delta country of New Orleans. Right. Uh, it was um, covered by Billy Joel on an album that wasn't released for a long, long time. But Highway 61 Revisited, um, you know, it's an interesting album. It was also, like a Rolling Stone is on there, it was covered by Jimi Hendrix at the Monterey Pop Festival a couple years later. He used rock musicians to back him up for the first time for a full album, except for the last track, which included artists like Mike Bloomfield and Al Cooper with a K. That's right. You know, Frankie, Bob Dylan liked to work fast like uh, John Lennon did. Yeah, four songs recorded in the same day on the album Highway 61 Revisited. Started spending a lot of time in New York and Woodstock. How come he didn't perform at Woodstock in 69, do you know? I have no idea. I haven't really uh, researched that end of it, but I would th- I would think that he was by that time just tired of carrying the flag for uh, that generation and just thought it would be a big mess. I think and some some artists came up with a, a convenient excuse. Maybe then they wish they had, in retrospect, been a part of it, but who knew at the time? Right, exactly. Then came in 1966, Blonde on Blonde, released as a double album in June of that year, featuring I Want You, Just Like a Woman. Critics loved it. I love Rainy Day Women, 12 and 35. Yeah, the... One another neat thing about uh, Dylan is some of the the song titles like Rainy Day Woman, uh, number 12 and 35, Positively 4th Street, Subterranean Homesick Blues. You could write about anything. Uh, None of those had anything to do with what the song was actually about. But again, he could write about anything. What a fantastic songwriter he was. Definitely. Still is. Producer Bob Johnston was doing a lot more work in Nashville and suggested they move the recording sessions there. Again, Al Cooper played keyboards on all the tracks on that album, Blonde on Blonde. Uh, Bob suffered some injuries 
um, just outside his home in Woodstock in July of that year with his motorcycle. He broke some vertebrae in his neck. It was not hospitalized for that. But he used the time to record even new music, more music, with members of the band who were his backing band in the early days, of course. Right. Then came 1967, the first compilation album, Greatest Hits, which I have, was released in March during his downtime during the accident. Mm-hmm. He had some trouble, didn't he, with Columbia Records. He uh, backed away from them in late 70s to join Arista for a couple albums, then rejoined Columbia. But Columbia Records is a good fit for him, don't you think? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, uh, uh, classy organization, and I think they always supported him well. In the fall of 67... Returning to the recording studio and came out with John Wesley Harding at the end of the year, featured much shorter songs, including the Hendrix hit All Along the Watchtower. Right. He wanted to keep this album and its promotion more low-key. He wasn't really touring a lot either, was he? he I know he did later on, but... Absolutely. Um, yeah, tours at that point weren't, weren't important to him. Nashville Skyline came out in 1969, the ninth studio album showing a smiling Bob Dylan on the cover and a move more toward country with his work in Nashville. A duet with Johnny Cash called Girl from a North Country, first cut. Uh, Bob's appearance on Johnny Cash's show helped make this album very successful. We talked about Johnny Cash and how he had that CBS show. It also featured a deeper voice of Bob Dylan, Lay, Lady, Lay, you know, Nashville skyline rag. Then in 1970, turned the page to a new decade with Self Portrait, his second double album, went to number four here, and number one, over the Pond in the U.K. New Morning, Features If Not For You, that was a song covered by both George Harrison on All Things Must Pass That's and right. by Olivia in her breakout year, a year later. Another Greatest Hits album, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Started having a little trouble with Columbia, so wound up um, teaming up with David Geffen and his new label, Asylum. So Dylan was released following his departure in 1973 from... Uh, Columbia, and it was compiled without his consent. It, it was a lot of the stuff that he had recorded earlier. And it sure shows it. Yes, it's uh, said to be, from that time period, probably his worst album. Yeah, Blood on the Tracks, 1975, was after Before the Flood. That was a live album recorded mostly in L.A. with the band as his backing band. The first of many live albums for Bob Dylan. So uh, Blood on the Tracks came next and marked his return to Columbia. Tangled Up in Blue was on there, recorded in New York and and in Minneapolis. What a fantastic song that was. Again, number one in the U.S. and did well in the U.K. as well. One of his best-selling releases. The Basement Tapes with the band, another tour of North America ensued in the mid-70s. Then Hard Rain and Hurricane, that protest song, which is eight minutes and something seconds. Spent five weeks at the top of the charts. The album Desire did. A Hurricane's about the imprisonment, of course, of boxer Reuben Hurricane Carter, charged with a triple murder in Patterson, spelled with one T. In 1966, the Supreme Court eventually overturned all and dropped all charges, but not until 1988. Yeah, that was quite a bit later. Even, uh, even when he had a second trial uh, after the song, he still wasn't freed. It was uh, only until, uh, like you said, 88 that he was finally uh, Able to live a free life. Right, exactly. 1978, year-long worldwide tour, February to December, Asia, Europe, North America, seen by over 2 million people. It grossed more than $20 million, Frankie, in 1978. Wow, and that day, that's an incredible amount of money. Helped pay off some of his debts. Definitely. He said they did a couple (laughs) of bad years. Uh, Eric Clapton actually joined him on stage in Nuremberg, Germany. He, Bob Dylan, had a little trouble with that of Jewish descent, of course. Okay. We did a couple of shows in Germany, but uh, they very well received uh, shows and 
Eric Clapton kind of helped him on stage, you know, and, and he wanted him to be there in Nuremberg, and it was a, a tough place for him to play, but he did a lot of live albums. By the way, he played the Coliseum in October of 78. Now you were probably in just getting out of college. Uh, still in, just, yeah, I was just about out. Yeah, yeah so I'm, October of 78 would have been sort of the tail end of that, uh, that gigantic tour of his. Live at the Budokan, did a lot of live albums, didn't he? Did a, Not a lot of live work. Uh, he also um, did a lot of touring. Uh, again, when you say when I say that I never saw him, it just wasn't on my A list to do because one of the things that I've heard about him is very inconsistent. Uh, if you see him on the right night, you're going to see a great performance. If you see him on the wrong night, uh, he can be disinterested in the whole process. Now we've seen. Uh, Bob Dylan perform on the Grammys and Academy Award shows and various other shows, maybe even Johnny Cash, and, and you're right about that. You're never quite sure what you're going to get. Yes. So he was lucky. Will Berry. And then Boo Will Berry, the traveling Will Berries. We haven't talked too much about that, but that was a great group, wasn't it? Roy oh, Orbison, Tom fun. Petty, George Harrison, Jeff Lynne. Absolutely. That would have been a great concert to see. Yes. I don't know if they were put one together or tour. Maybe we'll get to that uh, in the future because this is a 70s rock conversation that would have been late 80s, but uh, what a concert that would be to see. Definitely. So Concert Tours, great songwriting, simply one of the best ever. Bob Dylan, the folk, rock, gospel, country, electric, protest songs, he's done it all. He's turning 80 years old. Um, you know, his music really makes you stop and think. You know, if, you, if you really listen to it, and like you said, he has so many ideas in his head, that one title may have nothing to do with what he's saying in the song, but still cool to listen to, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that sometimes uh, we overemphasize his importance in rock because where he really was most important to me was as a poet. Uh, and I think that's why you had so many cover versions of his uh, work because it was so easy to get the feel of it, to, to get into it, and uh, uh, so many people did. Modern-day poets like Dylan Thomas would have been, you know, they're the songwriters of, of today. Absolutely. Bob's latest release from 2020, Rough and Rowdy Ways, was just released uh, in, in last year. The vinyl edition featured over 70 minutes of new music, including a 17-minute song to close outside four called Murder Most Foul. The only thing I can think of that he hasn't done is maybe a, a CD teaming up with today's artists like... Sinatra did in the 90s, or, or Tony Bennett. Exactly, Tony Bennett, I think of, uh, yeah. That would be very interesting. But again, with Dylan, I think that he probably doesn't care. Uh, and, you know, he's going to pick his spots, and I think for him to put it together, a, a, an album like that, doesn't seem, you know, his personality. No, that, that's, that not, yeah, that, that's not him. I can't think of anything I'd love else. To ha I'd love to hear it. That will be great. He's done it his way. Yeah, he's I mean, done it really. all. Yeah, done it his way. That's Bob Dylan, our featured artist this week. He's lived a good life, 80 years. That's a life well-written and well-lived, isn't it? Absolutely. Bob Dylan, our featured artist this week. Frank, thanks for your input again. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And here's what's coming up in Season 4. Coming up, we'll have Season 4 starting November 1st, where our featured artists will include Eric Clapton, Pat Benatar, Foreigner, the Doobie Brothers, and Stevie Wonder. We'll continue our series called Wish We Heard More From and feature BTO and Badfinger. We'll also have another edition of our Southern Rock, Southern Folk Rock category and talk about one of my favorite bands over the years, Poco. We'll have some fun stuff around Christmas time when Frank
Frankie and I each give you our top 10 rockin' Christmas songs. Frank will have details about his favorite album covers through the year 1982, and a brand new segment for you called Psychedelic vs. Pop, where we'll give you a pop song that was back-to-back on the Billboard Hot 100 chart the same week as one of those great psychedelic tunes from the late 60s. All this and more coming up starting November 1st right here on Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations featuring rock expert Frank Ost. Give you a little time to catch up in October. We'll see you in November right here.